Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for a very, very special interview today. We haven't done one of these in a while. An interview, that's right, an interview, particularly with somebody from 24. As you will probably be aware right now, we are currently covering 24 every week on a Monday. We're into season six, and one of the main characters in season six is Abu Fayed, one of the main villains in the show. And today we're speaking to the man who plays Abu Fayed, Adoni Maropus, played him for 16 episodes across season six. And Adoni goes into great detail here about just how he got the role, how a previous casting in the show that got cut, got him back on the show in a weird way. And just an amazing story around that casting goes into detail about a pretty horrific incident that happened to his father in real life helped him be able to put the character of Fayed on screen and even more amazing stories about just how Kiefer Sutherland nearly killed him. Now, that's enough to sell this interview right now. Kiefer Sutherland nearly killed Adoni Maropas. If you wanted a selling point to listen to this even more, this is where you need to listen to. But this is a fantastic chat. You're going to learn a lot about it. So sit back, relax, and listen to our chat with Adoni Maropas. We're obviously in the midst right now of covering season six of 24. It's a, it's an interesting season and we are definitely having a fun time with it. But one of the stars of that season plays the character of Abu Fayed, peers in 16 episodes across the season. And it's essentially the big bad, one of the big bads of the season. It is played by an esteemed actor by the name of Adoni Maropas. Now, Adoni has appeared in many, many things outside of 24. We're talking Mortal Kombat, The Scorpion King, Troy, an esteemed career. And outside of that, also an athlete who has competed in world championships. And I'm very intrigued to find a little bit more about that, particularly the sport in which he competes in. But of course, we're here to learn a little bit more about his time on 24 and everything else in between. First of all, it's a pleasure to welcome to the Oz Network, Adoni Maropas. Adoni, first of all, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to be able to stare at you right now and, and have a chat to you about uh, your time on 24. Well, thank you, Ben. Good to be here. It's <laughs> exciting because as I was sort of talking to you a little bit off air about the fact that we are covering 24, of course, and we're up to the the sixth season and, and how we stumbled across contacting you was loving the character of Fayed and then we've, we've found your website, reached out, and here we are because is this... Is this a role that is sort of one of the ones that a lot of people will want to talk to you about the most, uh, sort of throughout everything that you've done in your career? You know, it's funny you say that because I usually get Mortal Kombat, uh, but, and people see other things too, but I'm always surprised that 24 isn't brought up that much when I, people recognize me. So it's interesting. It's interesting, but I do get it. I do get it. I think more people have watched that than anything, but I think if they see me as, Fayed, they're terrified of me, so they're afraid to approach me. And that's happened a lot, you know. Kids will be fine, but the parents are like, stay away, you know, be careful. <laughs> he let off a nuclear bomb in Los Angeles. Careful yeah. of that guy. Which I'd, yeah. love, I'd love to learn how the role came about. How did you first uh, get to, I guess, audition or, or try out for the role of Fayed? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I, um, I had a role in season four. Yes, as did. a father. Yeah, and... Uh, it was a one, I think it was like a one day shoot or something, but it was a great scene that I had with Kiefer and uh, they ended up cutting it. And it was one of those scenes where people were saying, oh my, Adani, this is Emmy award winning stuff. You and Kiefer just, but they called me two weeks before airing it and said that we can't have this scene anymore because 
Kiefer needs to be killing people. Jack Bauer needs to be killing people at this time. So sorry about that. And I was like, what? This was my like an Emmy award winning performance, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and so I, I hated 24, but then in season six, uh, my agent sent me this audition. that was like four pages or five of just me torturing Jack Bauer, like talking to him and torturing him, that sort of thing. And it was one of those things that it might be shocking to you, but I just, I, when I saw this, I was like, I know who this guy is. I know who this guy is because of my father. And so I knew that, and I'll explain that in a bit, but yeah. I, I just, I just knew that I had this kind of memorize of the lines and just go in there and do it. I knew exactly who this guy was. I knew his pains, his sorrows, his, his passion, his just everything, his vengefulness. Like I understood it because of what happened with my dad. So, so, so anyway, I, I, I did that. I went to, to the audition and uh, John Kassar was there with the two casting directors. And, and uh, he said to me, uh, Adani, we're going to, I'm going to give you some adjustments. I said, John, just let me do it. And he goes, okay, but I'm going to give you some adjustments because it's not, you know, written very well. And I said, John, just let me do it. He goes, he goes, okay. So I did it. And he said to me, Adani, you're going to work this year on 24. I can't promise you this part, but that was awesome. That was amazing. He says, but I can't promise that this part to you because it's a, the biggest part we have uh, on 24 this year. And so I said, okay, John. But when I walked out, I turned back and I said, John, I know who this guy is. And he goes, okay. I said, all right. So I left. I didn't hear from them for like, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it was. And I found out later, years later, that they had cast someone else. Wow. And then they, the casting directors were upset about it and they fought for me and they cast some known actor. And then uh, for whatever reason, they didn't work out. That person didn't work out with Kiefer, but they had a stunt double doing stunts. So they replaced the, the this actor with another guy that looked like the stunt double. And then that didn't work out. And the, and the casting was fighting for me. And they finally came in and said, can we finally effing bring a Donnie Moropas in? And they said, yes. I found that out because my neighbor is the assistant to John Kassar. Wow. So, but I knew I had the part. It was one of those that I knew it was my part. It was the one time in my life where I said, this is mine. I know it is. I just know it is. What a fascinating story. That's, in, that's incredible. And definitely going to touch on your, your father's incredible story. But I just want to like backtrack a little bit to obviously the season four part because in, in a weird way that obviously it's frustrating that that amazing performance that you've given on that has been cut. But I guess in hindsight, that probably ultimately led to you having a more expanded role. Because I can imagine if they kept that scene in, in season four for a one episode storyline, you're not being invited back for season six, are you? No way. No way. It was a blessing in disguise. It's one of those things that at the time you think it's the worst thing in the world. Uh, just like all these horrible things that happened to you as an actor and but it turned out to be such a blessing, yeah. Because you were yeah. the dad of the two. There was like a, a store from from memory where like there was these two guys kind of like fighting. There was sort of like a bit of a, a street fight going on, and you were the yeah. father of these two characters, were you not? Um, because I know when we covered that episode and we discovered this, and that was sort of yeah. fascinating. That was there, and the deleted scenes are on the DVD, if I'm not mistaken. So it's yeah. sort of, yeah. I mean, a different role. Obviously, you're playing the father of two guys just protecting a store versus a a mass murderer who kills, you know, 12,000 people in uh, Los yep. Angeles. But I mean, yeah, as you yep. said, a blessing, blessing in disguise in the long run. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, they were both amazing roles, but the one was shorter. <laughs> one yeah. was one day. The other was what, 18 episodes or whatever it was. So, you know, absolutely crazy, crazy to think that, which I, I'd love to learn a little bit more about, about your father and how that then helps in the role of, Fayed, because we, we touched on this in one of the episodes in, in the official guide to this season. It sort of mentions a little bit about what happened to your your father and how you were able to use that for this role. But please, I'd, I'd love to hear more about this story about your dad. Well, it's interesting um, because of what's happening now in the world. Uh, but uh, uh, my fa- we're, I'm Greek, so actually Cretan. So we would go to Crete often for vacation. And my dad would... Uh, go after us and then he'd leave uh, earlier to come back to go to work. He was a dentist at the time. And um, 
uh, in the Athens airport on the way back from Crete, uh, in the A uh, Athens airport in Greece, uh, they kept moving gates around. And so these terrorists were there, uh, Libyan nationals, uh, they were the, with the PLO. Uh, they thought my dad was Israeli. So that's when, you know, my dad was waiting in line to board the plane and he saw this thing flying in the air, hit him in the knee. He thought it was a football or some things were running through his mind. It's like a glass thing, a football. And, and he noticed it was a hand grenade when it bounced two meters away and it exploded. And that's when he felt the shrapnel uh, go up his back because he turned and he had the, a shaving kit that saved his life. He had these metal ashtrays that he bought in Crete. He it doesn't even smoke. And he bought them for his assistants who don't smoke. And at the time when he bought, he says, why am I buying these? But it saved his life. It wow. took the shrapnel that was going for his head. So he escaped, survived that. And uh, at that time, you know, I was a 10-year-old kid. And I, I didn't think my dad was, I thought he was Superman. I didn't think anybody could hurt him. So when I found out, it was like, no way, you know. But then, obviously, I, I saw it in the paper, and, uh, and then I went home and I had, I had all this hate in my, in my heart. I wanted to kill every pillow, every Libyan, whatever they were. I had no idea who they were and, and no idea who these people were, but I knew I wanted to kill them. I, I, they hurt my father. They hurt Superman. And my dad sat me down to dinner and he said, Adani, I, I see the hate in you. I can feel it. He said, I want you to know something. He says, I want you to know that I understand their plight. And I said, what is the plight? And he said, he explained, he said, why they're doing what they're doing. He said, what they're doing is wrong. But he said, I don't know what I would do if I thought uh, someone had taken something, uh, uh, my country, you know, and he said, I don't know what I would do, you know, to get back what I lost. He said, Cretans have had to do that for centuries get back what has been taken from them because Crete is situated perfect in the Mediterranean Sea and everybody wants Crete. That's why the Americans have a base over there. He says, I, I don't know what I would do. He says, so I understand their plight. What they did was wrong. He says, but I want you to know that generally uh, people all over the world are good people. So I don't want you to grow up with hate in your heart. I want you to grow up with love in your heart. So, you know, the, the Palestinian people are not bad people. He said, the Libyan people are not bad people, so I don't want you to hate them. And so that changed my life. That Right there at 10 years old, I realized that my father, who has still has shrapnel in his body from what happened, and people, you know, died, the five people died in that incident and crippled for life and things like that. But I, I realized that, you know, we need fathers uncles, grandparents, whatever, we need them to love their kids more than they hate their enemies or their enemy. And that's the only way you're going to change the world. That's the only way you're going to lift the world up with love. So, you know, take your shrapnel, but don't pass that hate on. You can have that hate in you and you, that, that killer in you, but don't pass that on to your kid, you know? Leave your kid out of it. Let him grow up with love in his heart. And that's what my dad did to me. So when I got this role... Like I knew exactly who this guy was and I didn't look at him as a mustache twirling bad guy. I saw him as a guy who had, you know, Kiefer tortured my brother. I mean, Jack Bauer tortured my brother. And so I, it was a big thing with me. It, it was very intense. And uh, I just knew who this guy was. What an you know? amazing story. I mean, just inspirational for your father to be able to sort of give you those words off, off the back of obviously a horrifying accident, but I, I love the way that you are able to take that into a role such as Fayed because I, I saw the the snippet of the interview you did with Larry King where you obviously describe kind of in a similar vein of, well, you know, to everyone else he's a terrorist, but to me I'm not a terrorist. Like, you know, Jack's the terrorist to him. And yeah. I think that's yeah. obviously a, 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 an important way that as an actor you've got to try and get into that character's head. As you say, they're not just a moustache-twirling villain maybe to the audience, but... You're you're yeah. going into that with the, the notion of well, Fayed's doing this for for legit reasons. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one man's terrorist is another man's uh, freedom fighter. Exactly. And as I mentioned on that show, and uh, it's it's true. You can't go into playing a bad guy role saying I'm bad, unless 
you're a guy who really just wants to be bad and you know it, but typically you have a passion to, to achieve something, especially if you're um, an impassioned, uh, righteous sort of person from uh, another country, you know, so. Was that a, a challenging sort of addition to that role? Because obviously, you know, you touched on current world events that are doing this interview, but I mean, obviously back sort of mid to late, you know, 2000s, we were sort of in, you know, a few years removed from 9-11 and obviously the stuff that was happening in the Middle East was, you know, where it was at. Did that make it a more of a challenging sort of role, particularly coming into it as somebody who maybe wasn't from that region, if you know what I mean, to kind of portray something a little bit more of that plight? Does that add an extra challenge to it, if that makes sense? Well, it was, it was a challenge because even they told me, they said, Adani, wherever you go, you know, carry a mace can with you. You know, I, I was afraid that, uh, you know, some people would be after me. And, uh, you know, I was invited to Alabama, these guys, because when, I, when I'm on a set, I always want it to be a fun set. And it, it's probably surprising to people, but I can jump into character like that, you know. And so I, I like to joke around and this, but then when the character happens, I, I jump into. So people would come on the set that were invited who maybe won some, some ticket somewhere, you know, to come. And, and they always, the PR people said, go see Adani, you know. They said, who's Adani? And they said, Abu Fayyad. They go, what do you mean? We don't, we don't want to see Abu Fayyad. What do you, they said, he scares the you-know-what out of us. And they said, no, 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 he's, he's the nicest guy in the world. He'll show you around, you know, you'll laugh. And they said, what? He's, so anyway, that happened with one of the, the group that I was uh, with that time to to uh, two people and uh the one guy invited me they both invited me to alabama and uh i honestly i was thinking this could be it i'm gonna walk off the plane and there's gonna be you know snipers hitting me but you know it didn't happen but yes that that concerned me i i walked around from that day on with a knife and um mace can wow did you have any incidents of anybody at least i mean not necessarily threatening you but being like legitimately scared if they saw you in public Oh my God. You know, I, I remember walking in the airport one time <laughs> and this guy business suit and all that suitcase, you know, they have those things that you walk on, but they, they move you forward. What do you call escalator kind yeah. of things, whatever. And I'm walking away and he's look, he's walking and he's looking and he's going, he dropped his suitcase. <laughs> it's like that. And you know, like, and, and, and kids would run up, you know, at that time and say, Oh, you know, see you on 24. I'm thinking, why are these kids watching 24? But <laughs> ask for autographs and pictures but the parents were like you know just be careful be careful stay, stay away <laughs> they, were, they were terrified the kids were fine it was strange but no i i got a lot of that where people even the uh um uh, they had an event at 24 and uh i'm talking to all these people on different shows and i remember family guys specifically and these guys were all comedic writers and we're joking around and laughing and, and they said Donnie, you're really funny. You're really funny. I said, but you still scare the crap out of us. You know that, right? I said, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's a compliment though, isn't it? Because you're obviously yeah. doing what you're meant to be doing well. You're, you're making this villain a scary guy and that's what you want. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and again, yeah, you, you, you make him what you make him. But uh, again, he, he has to be scary in, in the, the, the role that you're creating, right? Mm. It, he's the head of the, um, you know, the, 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 what, what he's going after here in, in the U S he's the guy leading the charge and all that. So, which I think it's, it's, it's what, you know, makes season six unique, particularly in those, those first four episodes is that 24 is obviously renowned for having an arc of a season where there's one element to the plot that Jack's got to focus on season one. It's stopping Palmer getting assassinated season two. There's a nuclear bomb season three, a virus, Season five, it's sort of the, the presidential kind of, you know, the implications going to government. Whereas season six and season four are kind of similar where there's not just one attack, if you know what I mean. There's, there's multiple. So Fayette is obviously, you know, weeks of attacks across the US is, then culminates in this nuclear bomb explosion. And then that's going with these other nuclear bombs across the season. So it's kind of, yeah. it makes it a little bit more on edge because whereas in a season three, you know, they've got to stop a virus. This is you don't know what's coming next. Yeah. And I guess 
that also makes it more interesting for your portrayal because you don't just have one solitary goal, do you? You've got, well, I've got nukes, but hey, let's go after a nuclear power plant and hey, let's get a Russian yeah. general to help us out. You know, you've got a multiple faceted layer of a character you portray. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. What's also scary and great is that you never know what, what's what's next you know they give you the script like oh okay now now this happens oh now this happens you know and you always have to be ready to do it and uh yeah which Le- how, learning i was gonna say how long because we know often when we've had cast members on the show that often you get cast for say four episodes and then they keep adding on there how many did you know you were cast for and and were you surprised that you ultimately got 16 episodes or was that kind of always in the contract no uh it was it was for six episodes but they could have they could let you go after three if they didn't you know wow that sort of thing so it, it was one of those but six and then they added um just three more and then three more uh and then they wrote a new contract after 12 and so and i had three more i was in more than you know that they, they I, I, I ended up being in like 17 or 18 but um it was really 15 that i that I did, you know, which is must be exciting though. Every time you keep getting a script and all of a sudden, Oh, the three more, three more, because I mean, 24 is renowned for, you know, a character you think's a major character in four episodes, they're dead or or like, Oh, this is the big bad, but all of a sudden, no, there's a bigger bad above that. And sort of Fayed's a unique character in which there isn't really a bigger bad above Fayed. Like, I mean, you've sort of got the parallel Jack family storyline going on at the same time. It's kind of interwoven, but unlike that traditional three-story arc of a 24 season, season six kind of is a unique one where Fayed's kind of the big bad and you kind of meet him in the first episode, which again is another unique aspect of that season. Yeah. Yeah, it was unique. And uh, the truth is after I got killed, um, you know, 24 was the big show at the time in the industry, like people, casting directors, producers, for whatever reason, 24 was like the show. So wherever I went, if I had an audition, you know, I go in there prepared to audition for something else. It, it, it could be a comedy, you know, but they would ask me, they say, why did they kill you on 24? Why? Why? It was so interesting to watch you and Chad playing this cat and mouse game. And I'm thinking, I have to explain that and talk for like a half hour before I do my audition, you know, things like that. And I had a lot of that. People were saying, man, that was, it was like two different seasons of 24 in one. And we wanted you to stick around, you know, so, you know, whatever. Which it's, it's one of those things, though, which, I mean, season six is kind of always tainted with that brush of the it's the Jack family storyline that kind of everybody, yep. you know, myself included, not a fan of it. But I think what sadly gets lost in that is Fayette is a great villain. And I think that that's one thing that we're talking a lot about right now in our coverage is that no matter what you say about whether or not season six is a good or a bad season of 24, you cannot question Fayette is a fantastic character. And it's obviously oh, great that people are still kind of can single you out of that. Ignore all the days of our lives, Jack Bauer's family storyline, and then focus on the fact of, as you say, a cat and mouse sort of game. And and your death yeah. scene, I mean, come on, getting choked by chains? What a way to go out. <laughs> well, you know, I almost went out there. You have to understand, I, uh, I uh, ended up in the hospital. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't. I'd love to hear the story about this. Yeah, well... Okay, so during the season, again, th- this was a time in my life where everything happened. It changed my life in so many ways, okay? I had to move from my, my house I was living in with three other people. Had to move. We were getting kicked out. So I got sick. We had a rat infestation in the house. We had rats everywhere. I, it was unbelievable. It was like the movie Ben. Um, and and uh, I think it's the movie Ben, right? The rats and all that. And... Um, and then uh, ping pong came into my life. And because I was really down and out, I was like, nothing's happening. I had done all these movies in the past, you know, and uh, Troy, Hidalgo, whatever, but then nothing. And so I said, what's going to bring me joy? I said, ping pong. So I brought ping pong and I brought a ping pong table, put it in, in the game room or in the living room. And uh, the roommates had to watch TV around the table, you know, <laughs> and so, but they knew I needed it. So ping pong game in my life. Then I got sick. I got West Nile virus meningitis. I almost died. I was in the hospital for five days. They didn't think I was going to survive. Uh, I remember Kiefer sending out a big thing of flowers for me. Uh, I remember calling up John Kassar. I said, please, 
don't cut me from this series. And he says, Donnie, you take as long as you need. You're in this series. And when I finally got out, I couldn't talk very well. I couldn't see. I'd lost weight. I was just struggling. I had to do like four episodes in one day, I remember. Wow. All these lines. I had an assistant helping me. Like just, you know, I was walking with a cane at the time. Like you guys don't know what episode, I think it was five, six, seven, eight. I'm, I'm out of it. I'm just completely beat up. I, I just survived this horrible thing. And I, had, I still couldn't sleep at night. I was waking up and trouble walking and aches and pains that you couldn't believe. Uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy, a crazy time. So uh, um, I'm trying to think of what else, what else happened. So then uh, that episode, right, uh, where I die, where, where, where Abu Fayyad dies, Entertainment Weekly was there doing a day in the life of 24. And during that time, me and Kiefer have this great fight, right? But he had trouble getting the, 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 the chain around my neck. And uh, finally, he got it right. And it was perfect. And I can tell. And I had to support myself. I had to use my legs and pull the chain tight. And it was a plastic chain, but he wrapped it like two or three times around my neck. And so as, he's, as he did that, I sat down on it. And I was like, oh, wow, this feels like I'm being choked out. And sure enough, I got choked out. And next thing I know, I'm in this nightmare and then I see my stunt double running to catch me and Kiefer grabs me and I'm like, what's going on? Where are we, where am I at? You know, so I got knocked out, uh, wow. ended up where, uh, they had to take me to the hospital. They locked me in the, you know, uh, neck brace and wrapped me in a, yeah, it was, it was a crazy, I can go on cause it was like an amazing thing. How I was tortured in the hospital and everybody knew who I was. Everybody was watching 24. <laughs> was, I can they're revenge. On. They're like, this is for Valencia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. I was like, it was like the zoo. People would come into the uh, ICU and they'd be looking at me and like I was a, an animal in the zoo, like a silverback gorilla or something, you know? Which Was that the one take though? Did they force you to do it again? Or was it like so realistic because you actually passed out? Like, well, this looks like he's dying. We'll keep it in the show. We had done six hours of that fight, at least, at least we went past lunchtime. Okay. And so that was the last take we did. And it, it, it got right. So after that, when you see the guy hanging, obviously that's my stunt double, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, then I had to come back. And, and again, when I came back, my esophagus had been strained. My, my neck was, you know, it's like you, no one realizes I, we didn't make, I didn't go public or anything with that. I didn't want to, you know, throw anybody under the bus or anything like that. I just, I just did it. But you know, no one. It kind of went. It was swept under the rug where I almost got killed. Well, what, what you're basically saying is Kiefer's a very method actor, and if he hates you, he's gonna get. He's like, screw you, Fayed. This is for Valencia. Cut. Whoops. Oops. Sorry about that. Moving on. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny you say that because he is, and I am too. And like, I loved. I loved that that thing wrapped around my neck and it felt like I was being choked and hanged and, and I was. And so that's how I work. And so many things that I do, uh, you know, bad things can happen because you're so into it. And I never want someone to stop. But Kiefer, I love that about him. He gets down and dirty. We did all the fighting except we weren't allowed to, you know, throw each other into the wall. As soon as that happens, you get the stunt double. But it looks, all of it is us. All of it except when someone has to leave the ground and so that fight was so great, it, you know. Is that it, disappointing, yeah. though? Like that, I mean, I, I get why they don't want you to do that, particularly probably Kiefer yeah. as well. But, like, it's got to be disappointing because, I mean, that would be fun to go through sort of a, a prop like that and kind of go through that. I mean, is there part of you that kind of fights it for a little bit? You and Kiefer going like, come on, just one, one wall. We can go through one wall, surely. <laughs> well, you know, I used to do my own stunts. Um, I could have done that for sure if they patted our backs, you know, and things like that. But it, it's still, it's too dangerous. It just is, you know, when you're being tossed, you know, it, you know, anyway, it's, yeah, I always want to do my own stunts if possible, but anymore, you know, at my age now, let, let them have the stunts, you know, but you know, at that time I always wanted to get down and dirty and Kiefer did too. You know, Kiefer was amazing at that. He would fight them. When they would tell him, you got to go easy here. You got to be on the, the bed of the truck instead of underneath and say, no, 
I'm underneath that truck. We figure out how I'm going to hang on for dear life underneath that truck. And that's what I loved about Kiefer. We've heard he never many, made it easy. Many hard... stories about his injuries and everything that he kind of just kept pushing through certain scenes. And uh, I know yeah. we had James Morrison on talking about how he like would break his foot and just keep going and just, you know, not tell anyone about it. And just, I mean, it's, it's incredible to think that did, did, Keeper like take you out when you were out of the hospital, like you know, a couple of drinks. I mean, we hear some great keeper stories on this show, but like, I mean, it's kind of like a hey, sorry, I nearly killed you. Let's go out in the town and climb a Christmas tree or something like that. No, but you know what? He was very nice because after that, I, I've been to clubs with Kiefer, you know. So, oh, you know, stop there, stop there. Are... Clubs, clubs with Kiefer, there's stories here. Are you allowed to tell us yeah. any clubs with Kiefer stories? Well, you know, he's he's like the nicest guy in a, in the in the bars. I mean, people come up and he's just really a sweet guy in the bar. You know, when you're working with him, it's a different story. He's very intense, you know, and all that. But, uh, uh, you know, when we, when I survived that, my first day back, um, you know, they had to tie my hands up and he tortures me and he's punching me in the face and all that. And uh, I, I told him, I said, I, I can't do this. I said, I'm dizzy. I'm like my neck and my head. And, and he, he was, I said, I'll act like I'm being tied up because I was really tied up, you know, I said, but I need, I need to know that I can balance myself because I'm, and he was fine with that. And I, you know, I hope I didn't disappoint him, but I was, I just survived this neck thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> I had West Alvarez just a little bit before that, you know, <laughs> I was like, I'm you battling here. Sutherland smacking the crap out of you. Huh? <laughs> it's been a yeah. hard week. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating though, because I mean, I guess, as an actor, though, some of those things that you get to do, but like other things that Fayed's doing during the season, I mean, obviously at the very beginning, you're torturing Jack, you're, you're getting a, a, a drill to, to our characters, you know, as, as we said, we a nuclear bomb goes off. I mean, I think there's a stat uh, on 24 Wiki that basically says that Fayed is the biggest single murderer in the history of 24 with the 12,000 people that are killed, um, oh. which I think... There's a line there because Ma One in season four, he, you know, there was uh, nuclear power plants, and there's no exact death toll given. But so, I mean, it's it's a very interesting season with the, some of the things that you you get to do. Which I, I mean, the one sad thing about being killed off is that you can't come back later on. Is that, that that's the one disappointing thing? I bet that you're not coming back as a recurring character in seven, eight, or live another day or something like that. Yeah, I was hoping maybe he had an older brother that I could play, right? He had a younger <laughs> brother, brother I could be with. <laughs> you know, the truth is, that year, I was like the the villain of 2007. I was like, they, they, I was the poster child of torture. They blamed, you know, Abu Ghraib, you know, and all that stuff. They blamed it on 24. 24 mm. was mm -hmm. uh, depicting all this uh, torture, and I was the face of evil. I was the one with the drill. I was, you know, so... It was an interesting year. It really was. And, you know, um, yeah, it was interesting. I, I'd give interviews and I would tell, uh, you know, the interviewee, I'd say, you know, a terrorist, anybody could be a terrorist. Anybody could be a torturer. It depends, you know, on your circumstance. I said it could be my mother. My mother could be a terrorist. You know, at that time they had, you know, Chechenian women strapping bombs in themselves. They were like great, great grandmothers wearing all black and, holding kindergarten kids hostage. So anybody can go there. Um, you know, I, I tell people this, I say the two, the first two jobs ever, the first one was the prostitute, right? That was the first job ever. The second was the torturer because we love them both. Mm. You know, we just do, we love, you know, all everything about it in a sense. We're just built that way. I, I don't know why, but that's the way we are. And um, to play it, as a character, it's fun. It's great. I can get it out of my system. And I think it'd be great if the leaders of the world can play terrorists and, you know, all these people or whatever and get it out of their system and then come together and, you know, sing Kumbaya. You know what I mean? That would be awesome. Great way right? of looking at it. I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. Did you have a, a favorite scene of all the ones? I mean, I, I hope it wasn't nearly dying by getting uh, strangled, but uh, was there a scene that it was particularly one that stood out as fired? Well, you know, the first episode really still um, is the one that, that grabs me. But even though the, the last episode, those two, those two episodes, um, yeah, to me are the ones that really um, were just fun. I thought just amazing to do. 
Did you have and, a uh, did you have a viewpoint on everything else that was going on, like with the Jack Bauer family storyline? You know, this divisive storyline that not many people obviously were huge fans of. I mean, you know, I obviously I didn't like it when they continued on. Where you know, even people say that, you know, well, you want to put Fayette as one of the great villains, but he wasn't the main villain that year. And I'm thinking, yes, I was, you know, but but because of him, you know, kind of, you know. People say, well, you weren't the main villain or something. I'm like, whatever. But um, uh, I, I don't, I, I just, you know, I mean, I, I loved the episode. I, I, you know, I heard your, the podcast you guys did on, I know you, you didn't like it very much, right? It wasn't, you, you have some good things, a lot of bad things to say about it. Uh, I just, to me, it, it kept me interested you know i love the the character mcnichol uh what's oh, his name um, yeah tom lennox peter mcnichol yeah we just we literally peter recorded McNichol, an episode me. today talking about how good he was in an episode we covered today yeah yeah i just think he's an amazing actor um you know and i just loved watching him but i loved watching everybody so i you know it's been what since 2007 and i'm trying to remember you know the question you asked i'm trying to remember what went on with all these guys, but I think at the end of the day, as we've sort of touched on, at the time when you're watching it, it's it's not one of these things where immediately people didn't like it. So it's one of these ones in hindsight where if you if you watch 24 all together and you sort of go, what are the stronger seasons? What are the weaker seasons? Season yeah. six kind of like falls away a little bit. But my argument yeah. is the following season, season seven, and we're not quite there to cover it yet. But that to me has got a lot more issues in season six. I think that. As we've sort of discussed on the show, it's season five was such a peak for the show. And yeah. se- the first four episodes of season six were such a peak. And then it's just kind yeah. of seemed like it plateaued with the family storyline. And that is yeah. where I think there were issues. And then again, it is, as you know, we keep touching on, it is a shame that sort of Fayed gets lost in that fray. Because if you yeah. were to take away that family storyline with Jack Bauer... And have the fire because fire's very similar to a Marwan in season four. And to me, season four yeah. is a underrated season. It's so good, and yet you could yeah. have had this. But at the end of the day, uh, Colin and myself are just uh, you know two random guys who uh, can can critique. Um, but it's yeah. still enjoyable, and I would still watch season six of uh, Twenty Four above a majority of other shows out there. <laughs> yeah. Now listen, I loved your I loved your podcast. Honestly, I thought you guys did a great job with that. And I was actually looking forward to talking to both of you because I thought you really, you really worked well together in putting that together. Even though you kind of put the episode down, you, you still lifted me up. So that was good. <laughs> well, we're glad. We're glad to have a listener out there. And I'm, I'm sure Colin will be listening to this and uh, obviously, sadly, uh, not, not here with it. But I think the thing that one thing that we've discovered in sort of since we've been covering 24 now for a couple of years is obviously at the time, 24 was one of the biggest shows on, on television and, and, you know, such a, a huge hit. But it is, it's, it's, to me, it's kind of one of these shows now that, what, 14, 13 years removed from the last time we sort of had uh, a, a keeper season. Uh, you, you know, obviously we had the, the, the reboot that obviously didn't last that long. Is that it, it kind of does get forgotten about in a way. And they're always talking about like bringing it back. And obviously keepers always, you know, being questioned about it a little bit. But that's what we try to like to do with this, this podcast is kind of shine a light. Let's remember how big of a deal this show was and, and how iconic and a cultural phenomenon this show was because it really was a, a groundbreaking television show that obviously went on for a decade that uh, really, you know, set the bar high for a lot of what we've got today with TV. Oh yeah. I think a lot of TV now you know, is taken from 24 and uh, I know seeing something somewhere or they sent us that it was rated in the top like 50 greatest TV shows of all time. But uh, so it's an honor to be a part of it. But it was so unique, uh, so unique. And like even CNN, CNN does 24 stuff with that music and everybody does the the scenes previously and all that. It's all 24, you know, that all happened with 24. And the real time you know? aspect is something that it's, it's kind of some people have tried to do, but you can never get it on there. And it's, it's just... I, I, I got to say that, I mean, I, I loved Kiefer before I ever watched 24, but, that you know, you just, you fall in love with the man. And, I mean, it's, you know, the Jack Bauer power hour, right? That's what we all tuned into every single week. And and to this day, 
he is one actor that no matter what he's in, I will watch. You know, you're sort of like, oh, he's in a new movie, new TV series. I'm, I'm going to watch it because of just that connection. I, I was living in New York and he was doing a live performance like with his music. And I went and watched Keeper Sutherland sing live, which was fantastic. So it's kind of just, I've, I'm weirdly obsessed with the show still to this day, Donnie. So, you know, that's... <laughs> well, Keeper is, he's a, he's a great talent. You know, he, uh, you know, the first day, the first day I was on the set, you know, again, I like whatever it was, four pages or whatever of torture and all that. And uh, the director got me and I had to to, to perform it for Kiefer. And uh, Kiefer sat there and I'm thinking, oh, so I, I did it. And he goes, you do that very well, Adani. He goes, but he said, but let's move this line from here and put it up here and move this paragraph down here and put it there. And I'm thinking, I got to perform this. You know, he kept switching things around. I said, I got to perform this in like a half hour, you know, my first day on the set. And he's moving things around on this huge monologue that I have. Wow. And, you know, and so I, uh, I went back to my dressing room for the time I had and I went, wow, he is so right. <laughs> he is so right. And like, he's just, it was like, again, what, that's what I love about him. He doesn't make it easy. He's like, I want someone who's going to get in, get down and dirty and want to do this right. Let's do this right. And whatever that takes. And so I always say that to people, you know, that I would work with him any day of the week because of that alone, his passion to make it right, to do it the best. And to me, the best is just like anything, you know, as an actor, you want to create obstacles. You want more obstacles, right. To overcome. And so that's what he does. He's like, let's not make it easy. Let's make it hard. And so that's where the tension comes and conflicts and all that. And that's what you want. And so I Fantastic. love that. After 24, I could not, it was tough for me to do TV shows. Mm. You know, I don't want to mention names, but I'd get a TV show. And it was like, the lead actors were like, I'm fighting some stunt double when it's a simple fight and things like that. And like, they're doing things that are so easy instead of making it hard. And I was like, man, I miss Kiefer. I miss 24. It was such a class place to work at it was just like a well-oiled machine but but then again they could they can create and mix it up and not do the same thing all the time in a sense and it's hard to explain but he he just i love that he wanted the the the, the difficult way let's do it that way love hearing you know? that love, love yeah. hearing that yeah. it, it definitely um you know seemed like a fantastic place to work and i can imagine that of everything that you've done i mean it must clearly sounds like it ranks very highly among sort of all, all the work that you've done across your career. Oh yeah. It was the best. I mean, it was the, the pinnacle, you know, I broke through the glass ceiling uh, when I did that. And um, so, you know, but I, you know, I, I mean, I love playing uh, Quan Chi in Mortal Kombat. That's a well-known character, but you know, heck I was, I was working with three, three Playboy bunnies as slaves. You know, that's, that's a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Kiefer, Playboy bunnies. uh, Well, you know, six of one, half dozen of another. Does it make it like given the reaction that you've talked about, about sort of that fear and you're going into other aspects and people are talking to you about 24, does it make it tricky to try and maybe if you want to do comedy or you want to do something a little bit different, you kind of, typecast from that moment or do you try and sort of work around that oh yeah it's it's been difficult i always use this as an example have you seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh, a long time ago but i have yes okay well the nurse right nurse ratchet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you know nurse ratchet won the academy award but do you recall seeing her in anything after that well, what she did was, I think, she had a, a good career in, in horror movies and things like that, right? Playing that similar character. Well, those are the things that were offered to me, and I turned down a lot of them because I didn't want to be seen as this, you know, terrorist or, you know, that sort of thing all the time. So it's been tough to work. Uh, like me, look, I'm talking like this, but people know me as someone who does accents and dialects because that's how I broke into the business, mm. you know, with you know, I have an, sort of an exotic look, whatever, and I use that. But most people don't even know that I talk with, you know, an American dialect. You know, so yeah, it's it's not the easiest thing to do. And when when most of your big things are with an accent, you know, uh, yeah, it is. It's it's not the easiest. But you know, I'm I'm a creative soul, so I you know I just want to do 
creative things and that's all you know that's what acting is to me so i was gonna say it's, it's, a, it's a signal of a good actor because i mean i can i can list a handful of actors right now that <laughs> i didn't realize that like I, I think growing up i always thought angelina jolie was british because i used to watch tomb raider so much that when i heard it was yeah. an american accent i'm like hang on a minute christian bale never knew he was yeah. uh, welsh after watching batman so often you know like these things that you kind of you don't like and to me that's sign of a good actor because you know you make us believe that <laughs> you are your character so much that uh you, you know when you hear you talk like hey you're pretty good at your job yeah well it's tough these days though because you know they these days it's like they want you to be just you and you know you can't spread your wings like i i did a lot of middle, middle eastern south american you know whatever it is european roles but that's tough these days it's you know that, you know, you can't do that. They won't let you. They won't I was going to say, because it's a lot more back to my question before when it was obviously, as you're saying, you sort of Greek heritage, you're playing someone from the Middle East. Like it's it's something now where it's really, they're only really going to cast Middle East, which obviously is, is positives, but it also can have negatives at the same time, can't it? Yeah. yeah so it's tough. That's so, yeah, it's, it's difficult. The last couple of things I did, I was, <laughs> excuse me, playing a Greek, you know, you can't really make a living playing a Greek Greek guy because there aren't that many roles for Greeks. So you we know. need to fix that. Can we fix that, Anony? Where, where, where can we get more Greek sort of roles out there? What can we do? <laughs> My big fat Greek wedding, like seven? What are they up to now with that? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about Australia? You guys got a lot of Greeks we there. We do. Got to come Melbourne. Up. It's yeah. the, the second biggest Greek population behind Athens. So, um, yeah. you know, we, yeah. we've got a big Greek culture here. Have you, have you done any Australian or have been approached to do anything in Australia before? No, I never have. There I never go. have. Well, I've got to extend the invitation. I don't really have any connections here, but I can try. <laughs> I got some friends. Yeah, I got some friends from Australia. I got the the Mandalore brothers and Teo Penglis. You know who Teo Penglis is? No, I don't. He's on a soap opera. He's on a soap opera. Anyway, I know some Australian actors and okay. a couple other guys. There you go. Get the connections. We've got a great scene down here. And, uh, you, you know, see, I mean, Sean Penn just came and did an Australian TV show with Susan Sarandon. So, you know, if they're coming to Australia, there's, there's plenty of stuff coming coming out here. I'd love to touch on, though, the ping pong because this is like I love reading on your bio about this. And you obviously touched on that you discovered it. But this yeah. is this is a, a sport. So this isn't. This is old school ping pong where it's you're not allowed to have what the sponge on the racket or something, right? And this is the the, the version that you competed in in world championships and were a national champion. I mean, tell us about this and and how come this isn't at the Olympics? Why do we have to have this padded crap at the Olympics? We want to see you at the Olympics with the old school well, ping pong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let me just say this: uh, back when ping pong had its heyday, they call it table tennis. I like ping pong. It relates to Sounds everybody. So to me. Yeah, to me. So <clears throat> back when it had its heyday, when, you know, we were filling Madison Square Gardens and all that uh, garden, um, it was hard bat. That's what I play. No sponge on the racket. Uh, the ball stays in play. Um, it was more of uh, longer points, rallies, you know, things like that. It was strategy. In one point, you could have offense and defense and drop shots and whatever. So that's the kind of game that I play. Uh and I learned it from my father when I was a kid before I could even look over the table. I just seemed like a, a natural at it. Um, so, you know, I tried to adjust once, but, you know, I said, I, I brought ping pong back in my life right before I got 24. As soon as I got ping pong into my life and I got 24, it was like some sort of catalyst. <laughs> and um, yeah, from there, uh, within five years, I became a national champion uh, and then I was a U.S. Open champion, and I broke the record. I won more events like than anybody had ever done at the U.S. Open in 2013. Wow! So that was 10 years ago, and um, yeah, uh, it is an amazing sport. And to me, ping pong is might sound cheesy or whatever, but it represents uh, love, laughter, and fitness. And and to me, I, don't, I think you know this. I'm a type one diabetic, mm -hmm. and I survived all these years. And I think the key to my survival is being enveloped with love and laughter, which I brought. I'm a silly, goofy guy. People don't realize that. I do impersonations and all that and sing and do whatever. So love, laughter, and fitness, health. And so ping pong to me has all that. And it's a game you can play anywhere with your family, friends. You know, I have, I have a huge garage. It's just for ping pong, basically. So 
you know, friends come over, we play ping pong. But uh, it, it is a, an amazing sport. Um, and um, I'm trying to, sorry, I'm, I have a little cold here. <laughs> but um, it's, it, 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 it's, um, I don't know. It just, it actually took me away from acting for a long time, <laughs> to be honest. And I'd turned down roles, turned down. Well, if you go you know, on a world championships and winning U.S. Yeah. Opens, and then I think you've got a yeah. pretty valid reason to. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I use this rack. I, I actually use a 1940s hawk racket. Wow! Know? And I compete against guys. See, I compete against really. I'm a high ranked player, but I compete against the sponge as well. So I have a high, a pretty decent rating against the super. It's like it's like kind of going into a match with a pistol when someone has a machine gun, something like that, <laughs> compete and still win. I love that. So uh, I beat some high ranked players with this 1940s racket. When I tell them that they're like, like what? <laughs> You're using a 1940s racket. And they got this souped up racket that can spin. But uh, to me, the athlete, there's more athleticism in hard bat. And so it's like playing like a little kid. So I, I love playing like a little kid and, and uh, yeah, the joy of running around and, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful game. Is, you know, one, is one faster? Like is what is, is uh, padded, oh like is hard bat faster than padded? No, no, no. Hard bat is so slow. Oh, it's compared slower, to right? The, other way around. Okay. It's less spinny than just, it's a slow racket, but you can torture some people because you can play defense and just return balls while they're blasting it at you and putting all these spins and you can take away their spin. So it's a lot of fun to do that. And, uh, but you can only go to a certain level. Mm. Like my rating is high in the sponge realm. Okay. My hard bat rating and sandpaper rating is much higher than my sponge rating. Like you would see in the, in the Olympics, but I still have a high rating. But is that, so is that a be- thing with the different disciplines where have the hard bat players like yourself try to push? Is there a push to have hard bat in the Olympics? Has it ever been, or is that like a world no. games? Like, like kind of, or is that just too well, yeah. fringe that you wouldn't put that that far? No, you, you can play with a hard bat in, in any event, okay? So the thing is, it, it's it, you can only be so good with a hard bat. Because mm, okay. with a sponge, you can do so much more with it. You know what I mean? It, you can do so much more with it. So um, in 1952, the game changed because there was a Japanese player that came to the, uh, I think it was the World Championships, with a sponge racket right. and no one had ever seen that. And there were no rules as to how your racket is. So he killed everybody because no one ever experienced all these spins and speed and all that. And so that's when the game changed. And then that's when America lost its ranking in the world with, with table tennis ever since uh, the, the paddle became a sponge it, racket. It'd be a similar vein, I guess, that in, in lawn tennis, regular tennis, you could technically still use a wooden racket, but you wouldn't because yes. you would use yeah. the, the... Okay, got it. Right, okay. Yeah. It's fascinating, yeah. though. Yeah. Very fascinating. Yeah. I The things yes, you learn. You know, I'm using the wood racket, yeah. the wood tennis racket. I used yeah. to play tennis. I was a ranked tennis player. So wow. I used to use a, a Wilson racket. Yeah, I'd play like Bjorn Borg. I was imitating Bjorn Borg <laughs> when I... Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. That's that's so good to learn there. I don't know. I mean, this has been a very insightful chat. I've got to ask, you, you mentioned you do impressions. Who's, who's your go-to impression? Who's like, like when you do impressions and songs and that, like, do you have like one impression that people go like, you are that person? Well, I don't know how old you are, Ben, but when I was a kid, I used to do impressions of, you know, Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was a guy named Flip Wilson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he used to do Geraldine Wilson. I used, I used to be Geraldine. I used to do all the Carol Burnett characters, I'd, just anybody and everything. I used to sing like Johnny Mathis <laughs> and I could just imitate people. I'd literally go to, to um, a party or something with my family and whoever was, I connected with woman or man, I can go home and then I would impersonate them almost to the T. I used to do Richard Nixon <laughs> and my, my brothers would say, Oh my God, how, how do you do that? And I would just tell them, I would say, I become them. Like I, I feel like I become that, that person. And I would just do these impersonations. So I would put on shows. I'd, I'd do these impromptu shows and, and entertain my family every night, several times a night. And my dad would always, you know, whistle, you know, go to sleep, you know, <laughs> and I'm putting on shows for my brothers, but I used to do that for him. So that's why, um, 
you know, my dad uh, suggests that I go into acting after I got my uh, college degree in business Fantastic. because he said, you're always performing for us and always saying you can do it. Why don't you go do it? You Not know? often you so, hear the parents encourage the child into acting. It's usually the child wants to go into acting and the parents are going like, no, that doesn't have a, a future. Go somewhere else. So that's fascinating. It's kind of the other way around. What a, what a great well, story. I think, yeah, but my father, you have to understand, I wasn't given long to live and I was supposed to be weak, thin, sick, in and out of hospitals and dead by a certain age. So I really believe that he was like, well, you're at that point, you know, where you're probably going to die in a few years. So why don't you just enjoy doing something for the rest of these few years that you have? And he, he won't admit to that, but I'm pretty sure he was, you know, thinking, yeah, just enjoy, just have fun. Go out there. <laughs> so I went to performing arts school and then that changed my life too, you know, so. Wow. Fantastic, fantastic. Adonis, this has been such fun learning a lot more. I'm gonna, we're going to be watching the rest of 24 now with Fayed. Uh, I'm just going to be thinking of you goofing off set and playing ping pong, which is going to be a fantastic uh-huh. way to uh, look at Fayed a little bit differently. And when we get to yeah, yeah. your uh, death episode, uh, we'll definitely comment about how that nearly was your death episode. Uh, anything else that uh, you've been working on that's coming out that you want to give a plug for or anything along that before we, uh, before we let you go where people can sort of see what you've been up to at all? You know what? No, I mean, I have a short film that's out um, <clears throat> called Table for Two, and it was done by my neighbor, who's a high school student, and it won these awards at high school, and then we got a professional editor to come in, and now we're submitting it, you know, to the um, uh, festival circuit. It's a great part where I play a, a guy who um, uh, has a date with a woman every year at a restaurant, and she, but she's not really there. It's an imaginary person, and I signed to her, and I'm signing the whole time. And it's, but there's no one there, so <clears throat> it's an interesting role. I had to really study up on sign language because I know some sign language because I love the passion of uh, of uh, ASL, American Sign Language. So you know, it was fun to do. But um, I'm also writing a novel now. Oh, fantastic! Uh, yeah, and uh, I have a few other things that I'm. Can you tell us what it's on the the novel at all? Or? Uh, it's it's kind of like you know you write about what you know, so mm. it's kind of like yeah, it it may be shocking to people when they they read this, but there's a lot of a um, uh, lot of me in it. Put it that way. There's a lot of me in it, and uh, yeah, I did I did a uh, uh, a video. Um, what do you call it? Uh, video game. I did a video game. You know that I did one of that. I was a lead in a new video game coming out. So um, right. I forget. I forget. I'm not allowed to talk about any of these things. So hey, you know, you I'm not say, listening. I'm not hearing anything. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you're only listener, say, Adonis. Fine, you'll listen to this later and go, "Hey, what's that guy <laughs> saying?" <laughs> yeah, you have to sign NDAs for everything these days. It's amazing. Yeah, wow. talk about it. Wow. Well, we look forward to seeing what's coming out. And uh, you're on Instagram if people want to sort of follow that. And of course, your, your great website as well, which uh, really fan, fantastic insight. And I love kind of love the images of you with the ping pong. I mean, I just want to say this right now. And um, I'm a renowned suck up on the show, but I'm going to say that you haven't aged a day since 24. So I um, mean, oh. it's just, it's incredible well, to sure. kind of think this and just seeing your lifestyle and everything along those lines too. So I think it kind of a, it shows. So uh, I, I've, I've been absolutely uh, fascinated by everything you're saying, Matt. So we really appreciate your time here on uh, the Oz Network and uh, good luck with everything moving forward. I look, I look forward to reading the book. All right. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right, Ben. Appreciate it, man. Nice talking to you. Incredible interview there. A big thanks to Adoni for his time. And if you want to go to his website, I didn't even plug it there in the interview, adoni-maropas.com and read a lot about him. Like, this, Not even lying. This isn't me sucking up to the man when I say the guy does not look a difference, uh, an age difference at all since he was on 24. Uh, just an incredible athlete as well. The whole situation around the ping pong is amazing. Read about his story on his website as well there. But uh, a fascinating chat Kiefer nearly killing him and then going out to clubs afterwards. That's always fun. And just uh, everything else around that as well. So um, just an honor to be able to chat to Adoni and to, to learn a lot about this. And uh, to Adoni, thank you so much for his time and having this on the show. Mondays, of course, we drop our 24 coverage. Uh, we are up to episode seven at the time of releasing this of season six. 
obviously uh, getting a little bit critical of that season because Colin and I aren't the biggest fans of it. But uh, as you heard Adonis say in that chat, uh, there are reasons behind that as well. And and we we do praise the character of Fayette. He's a he's a great character and one that sadly does get lost in the realms of uh, memorability because of the tarnished legacy season six does have of uh, 24. So uh, download that Mondays and uh, subscribe to the show while you're at it. Never miss an episode and everything else in between that as well. This time next week, we will be continuing our movie coverage. We're getting back into a month of movies, horror Christmas month. We're starting technically a week before December because December, we want to get it out before Christmas. So uh, we will be covering that to stay tuned for that as well. Amazing Race will be happening. Uh, We've just dropped the Marvels spoiler-free review about a week ago as well. And coming into December, we'll have spoiler-free reviews of Aquaman 2 and Ferrari, which you know I'm very, very excited for, and uh, other great content. And a Best Of will be coming your way in a few weeks' time as well as we recap the year that is 2023. Big thanks again to Adoni for his time and for everybody tuning in. This has been the Oz Network. Thanks for tuning in. I don't really have a closing line, so I'm just going to say goodbye. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at the Oz network.net thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time like exclusive stuff yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.